0: Perspective Podcast. This is episode 539, being recorded Thursday. It's a special edition Thursday, April fourth, twenty nineteen. I'm Jim Tannis. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. I'm Josh Walrath. I'm Sebastian Peak. All right, and we're glad you could join us. Uh, we're a day late uh, this week uh, due to uh, travel to San Francisco for the Intel event, which we'll be talking about a little later. There, data centric product launch, a huge range of uh, products launching uh, to support their, their transition, so we'll be talking about that. Um, yeah, it's amazing but, how their top-end stuff is so inexpensive now. Uh, a yeah. uh, 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 true value play from priceless, you might say. <laughs> yes. Um, there there, were, uh, there was, uh, I think it was an OnTech had their, before pricing was revealed, they had the price list for the, some of the parts, and they just listed arm, leg, rest of body, so uh some expensive stuff but uh we normally record wednesdays uh 10 p.m eastern 2 a.m utc now that there's daylight savings in the u.s and uh next week as we've said before just a reminder next week uh there will not be a show we'll be taking the week off uh because there'll be more travel and there's just it's just impossible i won't have uh time to to just push it so uh so we'll, we'll be off next week and then back the following wednesday Uh, If you want to know when we go live, please go to pcpro.com slash subscribe, where you can enter your email into our mailing list that we use only to notify you when we go live. We normally put a link to the video stream in there, which I screwed up this this evening. I had the link to the last week's stream. So aside from that, usually that's the best place to find us. Uh, And uh, otherwise, you can find our live streams on YouTube or on demand after the fact at YouTube or via your RSS uh, feed. You can get us uh, audio or video that way. But uh, let's jump into the the news this week or the reviews this week I should say. We have three uh three re- well we have two official reviews and then the third review topic is talking about Intel's stuff, but we'll start off uh with a review of a power supply that Lee did for us. This is the Corsair AX850 Titanium power supply. Now this is a uh a new line of uh of uh, titanium-rated lower wattage, well, relatively lower wattage power supplies from Corsair. They announced these back at CES. And the key here is it's titanium-rated. We've seen titanium ratings on power supplies, uh, but they're usually on the ultra-high wattage ones, the fifteen, sixteen hundred 1,600-watt supplies. So this, you're getting titanium-rated efficiency at 850 watts. And uh, he took a look at this one. Uh, Did anyone get a chance to look this over and want to offer any insights or, or otherwise I'll just kind of uh, push through it here. A couple of push.
1: things I'll just briefly mention. I read through, Oh, sorry, Josh, you go ahead.
0: No, I was, I was just going to say, push it real
2: good. <laughs> oh, well,
1: I'm glad you got that in there. Um, yeah. It's a seasonic design. That was one thing that Lee clarified this morning mm-hmm. and very, very good performance. Basically. It's it's impressive to see, you know, this level of efficiency and tight regulation and everything was good. Just one very minor complaint he had about cables, but I was kind of doing some reading about that. This supply ships with those cables that have like two PCIe graphics card headers coming out of each one. So you have like a six by two times two coming out of a single cable which technically is not a problem and this is all pushing it's it's all coming out of a single rail so it's not really the issue that it once was but if your preference is to have an individual cable for each of the two pcie ends on your high-end graphics card then you might have to get you know an extra couple of cables for this but that was the only thing
0: and that's a a relatively minor complaint and something easily rectified if you're really concerned about it. Uh, One neat thing is that it comes, it doesn't have RGB, but it comes with replaceable side um, labels. So you get a blue, a white, and a red in the box that you can swap out so they will uh, fit your case design color scheme a little better. Uh, So that was interesting. Um, The fully modular, 10-year warranty, it does exceed that titanium rating for, for efficiency. Now, obviously, there's always the question of whether... For like a user, like a gaming PC or just like a single workstation, whether the ultra efficient uh, power supply ratings matter because yeah, it's going to save electricity, but it's you'd have to run it for so many years to make up the cost between it and maybe a gold rated, and is that worth the extra price up front? So so you'd have to take that into consideration, but it being efficient does mean it stays cooler. Uh, it's got the uh, the quiet mode, so anything below forty percent load, the fan doesn't even spin up, so it's good for. You know, low, low energy, relatively low energy draws on uh, quiet systems, 135 millimeter fan, and you know it's 249, 250, 249.99. So it's not inexpensive for that wattage, uh, but it's a high quality part. You know, you're you're going to be getting the highest quality components at that price. And SeaSonic is the OEM in this particular model. It, it's it's always with companies like Corsair or any company that that uses OEMs for their branded parts you have to be careful to, they don't guarantee that Seasonic will always be the OEM or that, you know, whoever it is for their RAM. So basically they're guaranteeing a performance level and they're going to make changes behind in their suppliers to meet that performance level. So, uh, you know, with if it stays at Seasonic, that's great. And if it's not Seasonic for future revisions, it's still going to have the same performance and efficiency characteristics. So something to check out there. That's the uh, uh, Corsair ax 850 uh, power supply, and it's also going to be available in 1,000 watt models as well. Same same performance, other than the uh, the 1,000 watt uh, total capacity.
1: Real briefly, I was just going to add that I would not be surprised at all if this ends up being a Seasonic, just because of the rating and the 10 year warranty. And it, you know, it's they're extremely they're well known for reliability and that level of performance, and it reminds me of that last review that hard ocp published i think it was last week right before they officially closed up shop which was revisiting a 10 year old Seasonic power supply that was still passing their tests even if the voltage regulation wasn't quite what it was day one but it's just kind of interesting to see like that level of quality after 10 years i would fully expect this to do the same in 10 years
0: yeah what was was the price would be under warranty
1: wouldn't
3: it
0: uh 250
2: 250 yeah yeah okay Yeah, for what, 10 years warranty, you said? Mm -hmm. I'm only repeating this because I'm not very smart. I'm like a parrot on your shoulder without hair.
1: All right. Is that what's on the back? Bald parrot. The most
3: patriotic of all parrots. (laughs) The bald white parrot. Yeah. Mostly found in Vancouver, Canada, strangely
1: enough.
0: All right. Well, speaking
1: All white of white Parrot, interestingly, the forgotten Philip Marlowe novel. It was the one. <laughs> okay. It was the one that uh, uh, Bogart passed on.
2: It was a cold and snowy night.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, uh, speaking, speaking of, of white, white things. Yes. Oh, yes. oh, wait, Jesus! You can't say that anymore. Uh, well, speaking of, speaking of the color white in a non-human context. There's another review, and it's the... Speaking uh, of spiraling out of control... Yes. Watch live as we go out of business. Uh, the Be Quiet Dark Base 700 White Edition case. Uh, Sebastian did the review for us. We saw this. Uh, they teased it at CES, and he's got uh, the case and, and did a full, full review. Tell us what the deal is here.
1: Well, from the moment I saw this at CES, it was I can remember it like it was yesterday. We walked into their suite... At Hotel And across the room. The it was across the room, Josh. It was exactly your, across the room. Your
2: eyes and its LEDs met.
1: That light bar magic. met my eye. And it was magic. It was sitting on a coffee table, unobtrusively, just kind of doing its thing over there. And I walked over to it, and I was taken by its refreshing kind of appearance. It's, this is a white case. This is apparently the second white case they've made. I thought it was the first, but they had a shorter run limited edition of a Dark Base 900 two years ago. 3,000 of these have been made. And, you know, depending on how well it goes, I would hope they might consider doing this again because this is really quite a, a different look for them. If you've seen Be Quiet's lineup, whether it's cases, power supplies, and their their growing CPU, cooler, and fan lineup, it's all black, pretty much. I mean, they have some white fans now as well, and they have this white case on offer currently. But there's there's a level of fit and finish. I, I think maybe those the terms get overused a little bit as you read enclosure reviews, and this one actually really does live up to it, and it lives up to what you would think would be a premium enclosure. Like As, as you look at the pictures on the review or if you're watching the stream, the top and front of this case are aluminum, So the the biggest surfaces that are white that you will see are are this very smooth, lightweight aluminum. The side panel, the primary side panel is glass, but it is.
2: Okay, can you you
1: stop real quick? Yeah, because I've got a
2: problem. Can you scroll up a little bit, Jim? Just scroll up. Stop. Down. A little bit more. Stop. Why is it always telling me what to do? Why is it always telling me what to do? What is telling you what to do? It it says there are big letters. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well no, screw them. They're taking they're taking my voice, man. It's true. But anyway, keep going. You're not you're not my dad
1: case. Look, the "Be Quiet" branding, Josh, has been there for a long time. <laughs> I just know. need to get used to it.
0: Josh, let's let's not upset the Germans. <laughs> oh, <laughs>
1: yeah!
2: It worked out very poorly in, in nineteen fourteen and
3: nineteen thirty nine. Uh, so yeah. what is? I that mean, like beside it, like the power keep... supply, beside the power supply,
1: uh,
3: is that like a vertical mounted GPU area, yeah, or yep. why is it just sort of there? Okay.
1: It is. It's an optional vertical mount for PCI cards, usually GPUs. And it doesn't come with a kit. It's been a trend in the last year or two to have that vertical mount alongside. I think the case last week, the Corsair Carbide Series 678C had the same thing. I'm seeing that on pretty much all of these uh, more premium mid-towers lately.
3: And Uh, so the intake of the power supply is sucking off the back of the GPU or the fans fighting each other? I don't
1: like vertical mounts unless you have a blower style cooler myself. So if you have like a founder's edition or, you know, some card like that, that is designed to pull like, well, the 10 series founder's edition designed to pull and go straight out. That would be fine. There is a little bit of space between that and the glass. So it doesn't choke out like it would in most cases, but I still would just recommend using a standard orientation. But uh, one of the things about this actually is that you don't have to use a standard layout. The motherboard tray, as if we scroll to the interior pictures, if you're watching, the motherboard tray on this is totally modular. So it comes out, it has its own like rubber feet and you can set it on your desk and build the system entirely on the motherboard tray. And this tray encompasses the back of the case as well. So it's sort of an L shape and it has all of the expansion slots. And it's all this one like steel unit. And that's not awful. No, it's not bad at all. Like, And what's interesting about it is once you get done with whatever you want to do with the tray, I, I chose just to do like CPU cooler and put it back in. You can install your expansion cards on it, too, if you like. You can flip it upside down and install it on the opposite side of the case. There's mounts on either side. So you can make this an inverted layout if you wish. And I think that makes more sense if this did not have the side glass because this is still set up to uh, have the glass panel on just the one side. But it's interesting that it, it's offered. Regardless, I love removable motherboard trays. You don't see it very often anymore. And it's, it's one of those kind of really high-end things. Plus, this one's totally decoupled. Like, there's a a rubber washer at every single screw point pretty much on this entire case, including the nine screws that hold the motherboard tray in place. And they're, like, embedded in the metal so you don't lose them so just a all around as you build with the case you just see little features like this like it has one of those slide out trays to attach your 120 or 140 millimeter width fans or radiators to the top it has noise damping material panels lining the top the front uh and the rear side panel it includes three three and a half inch uh, hard drive trays they're of that same variety that we saw with that Carbide series last week. It's, it's something that Be Quiet's been using for a little while. And of course, at every point where your your hard drive touches the cage, there's more of these rubber mounts. So they're kind of floating inside. You can put up to five in the component chamber. Two are hidden down below under that PSU shroud. It comes with one extra. So there's three total in the box. You can buy more. You can buy up to four more. And then it has Spaces, default spaces for three SSDs. There's two brackets behind the motherboard tray. Other quick things I'll cover it has a uh, PWM fan hub, like it has a powered hub that lets you control it through the front panel. So, a nice built in fan control has four different settings. And one of them is a pass through, lets it just do like PWM settings off of your motherboard. And basically, every little kind of extra you might think of or want in a case. I found this to have like it, the overall build quality, the convenience features, like the, the, the fan controller, and just really, really nice design. It's lighter weight than you might expect from its size. And I think that's in, that's mainly due to the the use of aluminum. And then all of this with what I consider really tasteful implementation of RGB, like in my pictures, I'm using a motherboard with RGB and a cooler with RGB and there's lighting on the, on the GPU, you don't have to do any of that. Obviously the only lighting on this case is just the strip that surrounds the front panel kind of like a neon strip is the sort of effect that it gives. And I had it, you can connect it to your motherboard and it'll sync with your motherboard color scheme. So there's like an all purple thing going on in this photo and the review, but you can turn it off entirely, or you can manually select it with the front panel to, you know, one of the main colors. Or obviously, you know, go without, but it, it, it's really well implemented. Like the, the cases I've seen that have front RGB generally have some sort of a cable going in and there's like a power lead that goes off of it. Usually like a SATA power connector. This has like copper pads. And when you pull off the front panel to access the fans, you can just see this row of four copper pads. And when you push it back on, it makes the connection again. So there's no wiring Nothing to line up. It just kind of happens automatically as you put the front panel back on. So just little kind of intelligent touches like that made this feel even more expensive. And the pricing on this is actually $199 for a limited edition case that's pretty high end, which I thought was reasonable, especially considering the case we looked at last week was 200 the one before that was 250 So there's a lot of cases in this like $200 price range for something that's considered higher end. And for this to be a limited edition of 3,000, it—I don't know what you guys think, but I—I I thought it was pretty fair, especially considering there is use of aluminum here. There's some of the higher-end touches, and I saw it selling uh, already. It was marked down $10 on Newegg, direct from Be Quiet, for $189 this last week. It's been selling for like $199 to consistently on Amazon. And if you want the black version, you don't—if you don't care for the white. The black version is twenty dollars less, so it's one seventy nine. So,
0: and uh, temps and noise were good. Good,
1: yeah. I'm I'm still trying to amass data so I can present charts that show like one case versus another case. But overall, good numbers. But we're talking like the, the loudest noise I got out of this with the the current build setup was only like thirty three and a half decibels. Very very quiet at idle. That was with the fans set to auto, which is a standard fan profile on the motherboard. Uh, and it moved enough air that temperatures were not an issue at all. We're talking CPU load. I measured 42 degrees above ambient, and that's with Core i7-8700K. So very good temperatures. That's That was with the uh, Hyper 212 RGB cooler. So sufficient airflow, good temps with the GPU, like fifty degrees above ambient. It was actually only like sixty seven degrees was I think the high, including ambient air. So more than adequate cooling. Did a good job with noise reduction. There are quieter implementations. I think even Be Quiet has some some quieter cases when they have that solid side panel with the additional layer of uh damping. But it's it's a good trade-off. Like you may be like a decibel or two louder with an all glass side versus without. But I think the look of this case uh, kind of offsets that. Like you're probably buying this white one with our RGB lighting more for the style than if you wanted just a totally silent enclosure. And of course
0: they offer those too. So. And an editor's editor's choice award.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you can, if you can spend the money, I would be all about this case myself in that $200 range. It's it's, I could not find any faults with it. It's extremely well-made. I got the impression as I was building with it and, and over the course of a couple of days, like somebody with similar obsessive tendencies to me clearly had something to do with this design. This is, this is a case designed by people who understand enclosure design, who understand the computer build process. And sometimes you encounter cases that look like they were designed for, for looks alone or. Maybe they're very functional, but there are some sort of like impractical steps you have to take to complete the process. And this was smooth from beginning to end. So
2: so does anyone sell a white DVD ROM? Well,
1: Josh, I I have some. But the problem with the white DVD ROMs is uh, that they're they're all beige. It's a tan. Yeah, They're a little off white. Yeah. Yeah. You could retro bright one. You could go crazy yeah. with the. Uh... But of course,
2: there's no space for it in this, right?
1: No. Yeah. So it's no. a, a moot point, <sighs> really. I mean, you could probably just... find a white external DVD drive. I think What's
2: the fun of in that? Before. Yeah, I have two. I bought one four years You have a white one? Well, at the office, sure. You know,
0: Not I just thought of something. Office, it's kind of funny. Where I...
1: White cases in 2019 stand out and they're kind of unusual. But just think back 20 years when everything was like a beige box.
3: Everything was beige. Everything was on off-white. It got more and more off-white every year. Well, <laughs> just, when you exposed it to sun, it got yellow.
0: Just go down to the hardware store, get a can of white spray paint. Just ah, spray the case no, down. No. Yeah, Yeah, be sure to, you know, cover up
2: that lens in your optical
1: drive i've as had well, one paint. i did one retro bright experiment this last summer i had a an old monitor i'd actually given to my sister years ago it was a 17 inch kds monitor a crt and i was visiting and i saw it in her back room I'm like whoa that's my old monitor she's like oh yeah yeah yeah. i'm like basically just like can i have it back She's like yeah so i took it out to my car while my wife stares at me like i'm insane and When I got home, I was looking it over, and she had put stickers all over it. And she was – she's a lot younger than I am. These were, like, little, like, girly stickers, like, ponies and stuff. And where they had been, everything around them had turned orange, and these were, like, white when I peeled the stickers off. So I had the outlines of, like, hearts and ponies all over this old monitor. So I got this – Peroxide stuff, like I don't remember what it's called. They sell it at beauty supply stores, which is the most popular method of retro brighting. Like the eight bit guy does this stuff on YouTube. You like basically brush it on like paint. You put plastic wrap over the plastic. You put it out in the sun. I did this for two days, and the end result was the monitor looks brand new. Like no discoloration, no yellowing at all. Didn't mess with the logo. Is it CRT or, or LCD? Mm. CRT. And I'd taken it apart. And sadly, the Retrobrite didn't fix that. (laughs) Well, uh, the problem is when I reassembled it, I didn't do it right. And uh, shortly thereafter, (laughs) I killed it. So the monitor is dead, but the case looks fantastic. Uh,
3: But it doesn't make such great noises when they died.
0: It doesn't have ponies uh... on it now.
1: It doesn't have ponies on it now, but now it has this cool feature where the horizontal hole doesn't work, so it turns on, and then it shrinks, and then it shrinks, and then it shrinks, and then it shrinks. So it's unusable. I don't know how
3: to fix that. Have you that. tried wiggling the cord? I have.
0: All right. Well, um, let's jump into uh, the, the biggest story of the week, which was Intel's data-centric innovation day. And I, I'm... I had to pause there because they've had a couple different names for this. I think that they've referred to it by, but I think, I think data centric innovation day 2019 is the way to say it, uh, or the official settled name and what this was now right off the bat. This is the majority actually everything here up front is going into enterprise. This is for enterprises and networks and uh, big, big level stuff. This isn't anything that today or even in the near future, you're going to put in your desktop workstation. But, but that said, it kind of points where Intel's going and the things that they introduced, some of the concepts and some of the technology will make its way down into more consumer and enthusiast level products. So what happened here to or this week on Tuesday was Intel, uh, they released products across their, almost across their portfolio, uh, hardware and software that was aimed at solidifying or 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 pushing forward their transition from what they call as a p said as a PC-centric company to a data centric company. Now that transition isn't new. They've been talking about that for several years. Back in 2015 or 2016, I think it was, um the former CEO Kranich uh said that this was where things were going. And then Bob Swan, who was interim CEO and now official CEO, has continued this. And their whole point here is the PC market as we knew it, the PC market um, that we made all our money in is shrinking and changing, and we need to find a better way to grow our business in the future. So they've been saying that for years. This is the first time that they've had a massive product launch where they specifically aimed their products to address that. Now, whether that's effective or not is, you know, time will tell. But what happened or what they did here, with, uh, is they, they launched it, products or announced products in multiple different categories dedicated around the model they say is move faster, store more, process everything. Uh, and so I'll touch on briefly what they announced here and then we'll talk about why. So move faster is like networking. Uh, obviously gigabit is way old news. 10 gigabit is old news for the enterprise. Even even 100 gigabit, which is what they announced here, is starting to get old news with, com- with other com- companies like Mellanox, but what they announced is a new ethernet chipset, the ethernet series 800, that can go to 100, 100 gigabits and support some new technologies like application device queues or ADQ, which is something that, uh, it's not like QoS, but basically it can tie specific lanes in your network to specific applications and then beyond that, to specific calls within those applications. So you're you're guaranteeing lanes or queues for data based on on very granular criteria so that your high performance critical stuff is never going to suffer or or can be at the very least predictable and consistent in its delivery over your network. Looking at storing, they announced uh, Optane SSDs. One of them is an enterprise grade uh, Optane DC SSD that now has dual ports for redundancy or enhanced throughput, depending on how you want to deploy it. And then the Optane QLC E1.L. And I, I'm not sure if that's the way to say that, but the E1.L one L is a form factor that's almost like a long ruler. And this is not proprietary, but Intel's one of the few companies to put something out in this form factor thus far. This is a QLC drive, but it's so it's not super fast, but this is aiming at Intel's uh, goals to move data from cold storage, which would be, the hard drive based into warm storage. So it's a good price for capacity, not as fast as your faster SSDs, but able to be accessed much more easily in an affordable way. And this unique form factor, this long ruler style uh, can fit into a specially designed 1U chassis where they can fit up to one petabyte of total storage in that 1U. So they're aiming it at density and affordability for enterprise. The bigger announcement with storage, well not technically storage, I guess, but is optane dc persistent memory. Now, Alan talked about this last year they 've been talking about this for a while uh, optane dc persistent memory is taking optane three d cross point optane and putting it on dims so you 're interacting with the system through basically a RAM module uh, style, so you have much faster uh, throughput or much more la- much lower latency throughput, and it elevates Optane, which has always been bottlenecked by traditional PCIe storage to some place in the middle between between your DRAM and your ultra fast NVMe storage. And the point with this is you can supplement your DRAM with Optane, which is cheaper, and it allows for more capacity. So DRAM is expensive, you can uh, buy you could go out and spend X amount of dollars on DRAM, but not every application needs the all needs the maximum performance of DRAM. So what this does you do is is get fast enough performance at higher capacity. So if your application or your workload depends more on capacity than speed, you have DRAM in your system, add a few hundred gigs of this stuff, or terabytes even, and you can then at a much cheaper cost. Potentially increase your performance, not every application is going to work with this, but it's uh, something to something to look at and and this is something we could eventually see in the desktop as a just a very fast cache or, or even as a supplement for DRAM, depending on how it all shakes out and then finally, they announced a bunch of processors they updated their scalable line of processors the the bronze, silver, and golds uh, and then at the platinum level, they've got a new generation of eight thousand series platinums the eighty two hundred and then the new 9200, uh, these are all Cascade Lake, which is the latest uh, server architecture. Not a lot of changes at, the very, at a very fundamental level. They were touting big changes in terms of uh, specific things like AI inference workloads, but this is still Skylake. I mean, we're still at 14 nanometers. Uh, we're still at a, a performance level that is, there's not a huge jump in performance in a broad sense. So what they did instead is adjust their pricing tiers so that even though the parts themselves aren't drastic, drastically different, at, a, at the old pricing level, you're now getting more cores, more cash or something. So they can point to the pricing tiers and say, look at this performance jump. But if you actually uh, put it back down to like a one-to-one ratio of, of cores, it's not a huge performance boost outside of those specific areas they've worked at. Uh, so before I jump into, I've talked a lot. Before I jumped into, uh, why are they doing all this? Does anybody have any thoughts on some of the like the hardware they've announced? And there's a few more things in here that they've announced that we'll we'll touch on as well. But
3: like the dubstep uh, field programmable array,
0: yeah, sure. Like uh, 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 a you mean? Yeah, Agilex, whatever. Yeah, you know,
2: it seems that IO has been really. Moving in leaps and bounds lately, and especially the past ten years. I mean, from uh, you know, from from the birth of hard drives up to you know the first SATA drives, things were really, really, really slowly improving. I mean, sure, we had 10K drives that um, you know they they were fast and and the enterprise grade and scuzzy stuff that were really horribly expensive, but now we've we've got to this flash based memory and from when SSDs, when like you know, Alan started doing with the uh, the X twenty five or whatever the hell is called, and up till now, I mean, it's just been massive increases in performance and IOs and capacities. I mean, that first drive that he got for what thousand bucks or something like it was eighty gigs. And of course, I you know, too bad Alan is here to you know wax. Fondly upon his his memories in the storage world, but the uh, the stuff that we have now in between, just NVMe for the desktop. I mean the the, the enterprise stuff that you know. Or, uh, who is that I/O group uh, that uh, the Was helped found? I mean, we don't hear anything about them now, but I mean, their storage solutions were super fast, and people were paying that money for that. And now we've just eclipsed that kind of performance and and uh, density. Uh, for you know i mean these these high end things are are not inexpensive, but it 's just all been trickling down, and the consumer and the people who want to price out a a moderate enterprise system still gets a tremendous amount of of power out of these for not a whole lot of money
0: it, that's yeah that's true, and so they're they're they've got a graphic here that they showed a lot, which is sort of this pyramid of how they're viewing the storage market and You've, at the top, you've got DRAM, which is the fastest. At in the middle, this was blank initially. This is the problem that um, where persistent memory comes in. It's the the uh, m- the needed addresses. Then you've got Optane DC, which is their enterprise grade, uh, you know, more re- faster and more more reliable, but still traditional solid state drives. Then you've got all the rest of the solid state. Then you've got your your hard drive and tape storage at the bottom, and it's about moving everything up and, and filling in performance where needed. The one concern, though, is that with Optane uh, DC persistent memory, because Optane is non-volatile, and but DRAM is, you can't just plug it in and have it, or, or at least uh, uh, initially, you can't just plug it in and have it, have it work. So they had to build application compatibility modes, and they've got two modes for that. One is going to be uh, memory mode, which is, where it's going to emulate DRAM in Optane. And that's going to be a little slower, but it's still going to give you the capacity increases. And then there's App Direct mode, where going forward, applications can be aware of uh, persistent uh, or non-volatile system type memory and know what to store and where. And that will be your best performance. So there, there are some considerations there uh, in terms of what the software side of this is going to look like to take advantage of this of this new hardware. But, uh, the, the, the question is, uh, why? And I, and I'm not sure I did a good job explaining all of this in one, there's just a ton of stuff. There was like 75 different products and SKUs all Mm -hmm. announced. But the, the question is why, why are they presenting things this way? And the view that, that they put forward officially is that it's a data problem that they're looking to address a different market. With, with the decline of the PC market, what can they view in its data? That's the point of the data-centric model is we're moving to data, we're moving away from individual devices and platforms to data. And their point was we're generating all this data, it's a tremendous amount of data, only 2% of it can be analyzed with our current infrastructure and workload setups. So let's provide a portfolio of products from CPUs traditional stuff to newer stuff like optane persistent memory to the networking in between and all this uh and and their FPGAs and and that can be customized for sp- uh, specific workloads stuff for 5G networking they're putting forth a menu of products that are all officially or or you know technically um uh geared and aimed towards addressing managing storing processing all of this data and and that's their kind of like their service announcement or their motto is this is this is what we're gonna do. Uh the, the other factor here though is AMD. And Intel, it looks like Intel's gonna lose on pure performance in some very important workloads against Rome, which is AMD's upcoming Zen2 based server parts. And not only that, but they're they're gonna lose on features too. Uh Rome is gonna have significantly greater numbers of PCI Express lanes, and they're gonna be PCIe Gen 4. Uh, so it's gonna be a, a, a lag there because this is still, again, this is still at its core on Intel side. We're still back on Skylake and, and we've got PCIe 3.0 and uh, limited PCIe lanes. They vary depending on the, the, the tier and the processor configuration. So Intel's facing the, the prospect that they haven't had to face in decades well, at least a decade of we're going to have our competitor come out with a part and that part's going to beat us. Forget the price to performance ratio. I mean, they're probably going to lose there too, but we're going to have a part that's going to perform better. So we're providing instead, we're, we're going to look at it and say, okay, maybe we do lose there. Maybe this isn't the best performance versus our AMD counterpart at this pricing tier. But if you come to us, you can, you can implement Optane DC persistent memory, which will save you money or improve cost or both or you can use our advanced networking technology, or you can implement our FPGAs to your edge devices and integrate that all together. And we're providing a platform. Intel itself becomes the platform, not just the individual products.
1: Yeah, I I think Intel has consistently had a lead in storage performance and IO performance. So we look at the AMD side, at least on desktop, because I don't have much familiarity with the server side. You're talking about raw CPU horsepower from AMD, but over on Intel's side, they can offer you, like you said, Optane memory. Uh, they do consistently have better storage performance and better uh, I.O. performance. So we'll see how the new generation of AMD uh, products perform. We're going to see some new platforms this summer, and I think we're going to see for the first time, AMD is like home-built, uh, at least USB controller, right? They're going to have some of their own technology built into the new stuff, but they're not going to have necessarily an answer to Optane. And if you look at the the most recent report of what Epic Rome has been benchmarking at, just from like leaks online, this is from March 29 on Tom's Hardware, they say that the 64-core part is a base 1.4 boost 2.2 gigahertz as of right now. Like this this may go up, but that is significantly slower than that high end part from Intel the 9282 which is like the flagship 56 core part from the Platinum 9200 series. That has a base frequency of 2.6 gigahertz and obviously can boost higher and I I don't know what the single core boost max is. I don't see it here listed at uh uh wiki chip but uh clearly I mean and memory bandwidth is is crazy on this new Intel part too this twelve channel hmm. memory I don't know Josh do we know what the what is the memory architecture for Rome is that eight channel is it twelve channel
2: I think it's eight I think it's it's okay. two um, yeah, I think it's four memory controllers in that big IO hub. And so it you eight. can have a, a total of, of four by four. So 16 slots that, uh, it can address for each CPU. I think in maximum, I, uh, you know, board guys are probably going to do something different. They may just do, you know, two slots per, just due to spacing and that. But, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not entirely sure and I'm probably wrong there, but yeah, you're looking well, at 16 slots max for yeah. each CPU.
1: It's going to be workload dependent. Like if if you're looking at both of these, it, the, the Intel part is going to have higher single-threaded performance, I would assume. And that's as much a function of the frequency they're going to be able to provide as anything with that higher base frequency. And then it... Yeah, but if, if
2: you're buying you're a 64-core, relying... 128-thread yeah. chip, you're not worried about single-core. You want a lot of work done through many processes and threads being thrown at that
1: CPU. I just wonder if AMD's oh, ROM is going to beat it. Mm-hmm. If, if you have that it, much of a disparity in clock speed, is the extra core count going to help you that much, 64 to 56 cores across a multi-threaded oh. workload?
3: We don't well, have scaled the skews up by yet. several sets because you wouldn't just have the one chip going, right? So that's gonna that's true increase okay. that thread count significantly.
2: Yeah, but you know, again we don't we don't have all the skews and the speeds yeah. and feeds, and so you know, AMD can do a lot of juggling with what they've got. I mean, they could do a thirty core, thirty two core chip that runs at you know four point two gigahertz on Epic or even above that. Uh, to kind of address certain areas and, you know, then the slower, bigger ones, which will iterate from 32 to 48 to 64 or whatever. Um, it's, you know, they AMD has more leverage here because they have a more granular and flexible architecture than what Intel does. And Intel is, is kind of reacting to AMD and I mean these are two cores uh, I believe that are kind of fused together on on this high end fifty six core part. Or is it fifty eight? Fifty six, right? Fifty six, yeah. Fifty six,
0: yeah. 56. 56.
2: And uh, you know, we, we don't know all of the odds and ends about how they've integrated that and made it work. I mean it's 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 gonna be glued together or dies because otherwise or or is it? Did they announce that? No. Yeah, I think I think the, the thinking is it's it's going to be, you know, some kind of glue in there. Um, but, you know, Intel is a smart group, and uh, they've got a lot of engineers, a lot of engineers, and they're going to put up a fight. And an AMD may have an advantage through the second half of 2019 because of process technology, because of how flexible their architecture is, um, their use of, of a separate IO chip with all the chiplets, could be really, really good. It all depends on how uh, the Infinity Fabric works and how low they can get the latency in between communicating in between the chips and the I/O and the memory, all that stuff together. Uh, supposedly, it's it's a lot better than it was in the previous generations, just because they've kind of you know changed around the the, the topology, but. Yeah, Intel had no choice but to react and do something like this. I mean, it's a 400 watt TDP part. I mean, that's Yeah.
3: That's significant. That's the big thing, right? Like yeah. AMD could if they keep their power draw and heat down become significantly more or significantly less expensive to run. Uh they're already cheaper to go out and buy, but now you're looking at your power costs over the course of a year and if it's significantly under 400, well, that's that's direct to, to dollar savings uh, for you to cool it, for you to power it, for everything, which is a big thing now. And, I mean, the D1600 series is, is a decent compromise. Like, Intel does have some lower cost or low power parts, but still, like, you're looking at some of these SKUs and it's like 400 watts is times you know a that's, dozen. that's 24. a lot
2: of pull and that's that's yeah. a
3: lot of cooling
0: that's a lot of cooling yeah. in a one u rack and it's probably not going to be one u rack no, those those won't be the, plat- the 9, oh, platinum the 9200 platinum well that's the other thing too so it, you're you're not going to be able to officially buy a 9200 series platinum i mean i'm sure we'll have a video where linus goes and finds ones on the streets of shanghai or something but you're not going to buy it drops the part. it yeah, well, yes. that's a given. Uh, but you, you're you're yeah. going to buy from Intel their specially designed servers that they're going to partner with manufacturers to distribute. They have a, right. uh, a design that they've created for that series. Uh, you can have optional air cooling or liquid cooling, and that's how you'll get it. You're going to get a complete package at that price level, and it's going to cost right. $30,000, $40,000. No, you easily. Know. How, how much again? Uh, in, in in the many in the tens of thousands Pro- you amazing. could probably you, you could probably get one for low 20s if you went pretty minimal on the options but
2: but how
1: yeah, well would like you be able about to got a car here yeah.
2: <laughs> you know since it is a lake architecture how well would you be able to skip it across water that's a pretty big package
0: Well, it's a bit ship. a it, big yeah. To it. yeah yeah if you, if you hit if you have the angle right Try to get some distance. Yeah, it get 15, this time, 16
2: it? skips out of there.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. hmm wow. Yeah. So, but those resistors at the bottom is going to cause some friction with the water and it's going to slow it down, so maybe you'd only expect 10 to 12. Depends
3: on the skew you get.
0: <laughs> so uh, there's a lot of stuff uh, that they announced, a lot of stuff that may never hit Enthusiast level or consumer level, some stuff that will, uh, but you know, it's it's pointing to where this company's going. Uh, I also briefly mentioned kind of the rollout of this. So available today, and when I say available, I don't necessarily mean you can buy it immediately, but they're they're officially launching it. So you know, if you go to your vendor if you're an enterprise and start looking at this stuff. So available available today is all the second gen scalable parts except for that AP level 9200 series. The Xeon D six hundred, which Jeremy uh mentioned, which I neglected to mention, which is their their lower power. It's the uh predecessor or sorry, the successor to the D fifteen hundred. So this is a Xeon part uh that is meant for lower lower power usage or lower power implementations, things like NAS devices, high-end networking equipment, stuff like that. So that's launching.
3: And they finally uh, got to ten nanometer.
0: And yes, it's uh ten nanometer on the FPGA. On the FPGA. <laughs> Technically, um, so, uh, also, also launching today is the DC persistent memory Optane DC and then the D5, uh, P4, four three two six SSD, which is that long ruler style one we talked about, uh, available in Q3 will be the Ethernet 800 series and, uh, and then available in the second half is how they said it will be the Agilex FPGAs and those high, high end 9200 platinum series parts, um, And then yet to be determined is their dual port, uh, Optane DC SSD, uh, for, for launch there. So stuff is rolling out and, uh, it will be, I mean, we have to wait for AMD, which apparently we'll hear more about at Computex. We have to, to see how their, uh, platforms shake out and see what pricing and actual performance are and, uh two Intel's, months away. Intel's got yep. 97 plus percent of the market and enterprises and server server deployments don't change over overnight. So Intel's still probably going to hold a vast majority of market share for many years. But this could be where we see things finally turn and AMD starts gaining more. Uh, well, even even the 14 nanometer Epic stuff has
2: already been slowly grabbing mm-hmm. some... <clears throat> Some market share. I mean, not much. I mean, maybe we could say that they're getting a larger percentage of growth than actual overall market share. But that's yeah. you know, primarily because they've got a solid product, but Intel just can't make enough chips at fourteen nanometer right now.
0: Well, so, and when you're over.
3: Baidu or Amazon yeah. or one of those companies, you you can't wait. It's like, no, we have yeah. to scale up now.
0: Right well i mean it was funny too because on the other side so intel's have, having their issues with fulfilling uh demand amd when it launched epic had no vendor partners and it or, you know they had very limited and it was at least 6 months into the product launch before you had actual choice in who you can get the servers from and so that's ramping up and that's going to continue to grow so stuff to watch out for like I said nothing immediately that's if you if you're an enthusiast like a gamer or you're doing high end workstation work on a sole workstation this is nothing here is going to affect you in the short term uh but it's it's worth watching as as we see how Intel continues this transformation especially now that Bob Swan is full time CEO which was announced last week as well uh that was surprising because uh, there were some rumors that he didn't want the job uh, initially he was the interim CEO he was just going to keep the seat warm but he he uh, took over and then when he was CFO um, he was also fully on board with this transformation. So him becoming full-time CEO, having that that mindset of this is where we need to go as a company, uh, that'll be interesting to see. Uh, but uh, all right, let's jump into uh, more news this week. Uh, we've got a couple uh, stories, uh, one of them somewhat surprising, and that is that Microsoft is finally backing off at least a little bit. On the forced Windows 10 updates, this has been a huge issue for for basically since the launch of Windows 10. Uh, but why don't you tell us uh, what the deal is here, Sebastian?
1: Yeah, they had a blog post that went up today, and it's titled "Improving the Windows 10 Update Experience with Control, Quality, and Transparency." And as you read through, they say that they're excited to announce significant changes to the Windows update process, and basically what this amounts to is feature update rollouts are no longer going to be forced upon you so you will get a notification that it is available but then you're given a choice of when to install it and they have added that pause updates for up to 35 days features to all versions of windows that was something that was in the pro version before and It says all customers will now have the ability to explicitly choose if they want to update their device when they check for updates. And this does not uh, apply to devices that are at or will soon reach end of service, it says. In in that case, you will still be getting a feature update automatically. And feature updates are not the same as the the roll-ups, like the quality updates, that sort of thing. It'll still be pushing those out to devices, but at least those major, like twice a year, releases of windows like basically new versions of windows will not automatically download and install on you another important thing about this that i thought was very smart was most people i would assume like just your average person doesn't really go into and check the active hours which is kind of buried a little bit in settings so for your average person who buys a windows 10 laptop and never gets past creating an account and just using their machine active hours is set by default to 8 a.m to 5 p.m i always change mine to like the maximum number of hours i have mine set to 8 a.m to 2 a.m on every computer and what this is going to do is it says it will have the option to let windows intelligently adjust active hours based on their device specific usage patterns and of course Microsoft uses you know whatever you think about it they are looking at your activity on the computer whether or not you send it to them is something that you can toggle off in the settings but they're going to use some of that data that they accrue as you use your computer to say oh well they they use their computer typically you know in the evenings from 6 to 10 p.m. they'll leave you alone during that time period so even if there is a roll up or some other update it's not going to be bothering you you turn your computer on during active hours theoretically you wouldn't have to sit through one of those like 20 minute uh, please wait do not shut off your computer or deals so that's nice I, was, I thought that was a nice touch if if for nothing if no other reason then most people have never gone in and changed that I assume other than power users so and and then the ability to pause updates is nice but you only can do that so often at some point or other you will have to in- install some of these updates but getting a notification instead of just when you go to restart your computer, see like update and restart, and then update and shut down, and not really having a choice. So,
0: yeah. Although is ADS, this update I'm, mandatory? Right. <laughs> I mean, because that's the thing they say they yeah. say feature updates. Microsoft is going to be the sole arbiter of what is a feature update and what yeah. is mandatory or required. So, but I bet you quality know quality what's a feature or, or what's a bug. Yeah. Sure. But at least this will give folks a little more control in some situations. I mean, the the whole deal with with this was that when Microsoft went to this model, we as a society did it to ourselves because on the whole, people didn't update their Windows installations, which allowed for malware and viruses to spread. But Microsoft, when they went to this model, they had to get it right. They had to, if you're going to force updates on people, they have to work. They have to be fully vetted and, and minimal chance of, of issues and they've screwed it up so bad and uh
1: let's see just want to get this straight uh as a society we did this to ourselves jim yes. tannis for four, 2019 mm-hmm. okay well we know where jim will be going when he is poached you by know that's the that's wall. very
2: that's very
0: digital justice of you yeah. digital justice mm-hmm. i don't i don't understand that reference
1: it's okay. I never understand any of Josh's references. It's okay. Well,
0: <laughs> right. oh, you have an excuse.
2: You're a digital justice warrior,
0: Jim. <laughs> oh, oh, a dig- oh, okay. A, a DJ, a DJ, DJ, DJW. DJW. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Good. Okay. So check for that new feature coming up in the uh, the May update. For Windows
1: check 10. for that mandatory update that allows you to pause updates and yes. Uh, yes. potentially... Not be forced to update further beyond that. This will mean I have to install eighteen oh nine, doesn't it? Uh, uh, I have... think so. I think so.
0: Well, nineteen oh. That's the new mainstream 50%. version,
3: Jeremy. Yeah, they've broken fifty percent. It's doesn't take them very long at all.
0: All right, uh, let's check out uh, the next news story, uh, which is. Uh, some some news about uh, AMD's 2019 plans that Jeremy uh, found for us.
3: Yeah, as we sort of alluded to earlier, but yeah, May 27th is going to be very interesting because that's when Lisa Sue is going to do a pre-Computex uh, press conference and, you know, more or less a, a flagship speech. And they'll be covering, uh, I mean, Zen 2 because we are getting a desktop refresh along with the, the X570 chips that they're going to show off Immediately, uh, going from previous releases, there will be numerous flavors of X500 chipsets. And interestingly, because uh, they usually go and get AS Media to do a lot of the tapeouts for their motherboards, AS Media wasn't actually ready for PCIe 4.0. So AMD is doing a lot of the stuff in-house. And that more or less means you know more money for AMD, which is a lovely friggin' thing. But over the past couple of months, we've seen uh, a huge jump, uh, sort of as Josh mentioned, that there's been a lot of, that the market share itself isn't huge, but the speed of growth is. So going back to quarter four, 2017, they had a single percent of the overall server room market. This past uh, at the end of the last year, they were up to 3.2 because a variety of companies like HP, uh, Lenovo, Dell, Finally started to sell epic processors or sort of epic based systems. And at the same time, still taking advantage of these the, the silicon drought coming out of Intel, we're seeing Chromebooks with, with AMD CPUs in them, which is you know very, very new to the market. You're seeing uh Asus putting out some of their ROG laptops, and there's a Ryzen inside. It's it, it, it's really good news for competition in the market, and AMD specifically, where we're seeing them starting to show up in more than just pre-built systems, which has been their bread and butter for a very long time, where you need to know what you're doing and you know be very knowledgeable about the market before you're even thinking about AMD, because you've got some vague memory of your brothers, sisters, nephews, uncles, sons, daughters, roommate saying that they had really bad drivers 20 years ago. And some people have just never forgotten this for whatever reason. It's going to be a very interesting thing. And as we sort of mentioned before with the Intel, we're going to see PCIe 4.0 coming out on AMD first. Uh, you're not going to get that for graphics card. That's that's going to be for the enterprise centric stuff, uh, just like it was for Intel, but it's a huge step forward and it's AMD sort of getting there first. Again, uh, they've, had a history of doing that sometimes, arguably getting there first a little bit too early uh, so that there wasn't really much point in adopting those features or holding off might have actually been more effective in the second generation, like say HBM, does do much better than that first one, but they do take a little bit of loss on the first gen. But just hitting PCIe 4.0 is going to be a huge thing. It's going to be a big attraction for people that are picking up Large, expensive server boxes they're not planning on upgrading for 5 to 10 years. And now they're not going to have to think about it. And AMD is really, really good at backwards compatibility, so that thing is still going to be kicking around. But as most of the people are interested in, we're going to be seeing Zen 2 on the desktop coming out. You Probably Q3, maybe Q4. We're also going to see Navi. There's going to be a bunch of that uh, to coming uh, during Computex to let us take a look at what these chips are going to be able to do, and of course the, the new Thread Rippers for those of us that like to sort of bridge the, the gap between workloads and, and workstation-based tasks and gaming. It's going to be. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to disagree with. One. Oh yeah. Disagree with you a little bit. Good because I'm getting. The, I think that out to uh, cough all over
2: the place. I I understand. So mute yourself and <clears throat> cough away as I hijack your little. I you know I think I think we're going to see Zen two on the desktop sooner than you're thinking because there's there have been rumors that the uh, the X five seventy chipset mm-hmm. has had yeah. issues. And that's that's and then they don't necessarily want to release Zen2 without a chipset and motherboard designs that will definitely run PCIe four point But if AMD does that, they're leaving a lot of money on the table. Because at the beginning of summer, you're gonna start seeing OEMs ramping up uh their designs that are gonna release for you know back to school as well as holiday. And if they're not offering that It's going to be not great for AMD. Again, they've got an advantage in in the process that they're using. It's it's a more dense design. It may not be that great in terms of being able to to push clock speeds. I mean, they're going to be able to do that a little bit. But where they really get their money is is manufacturing and and how many dyes they get in a wafer. And It's a bunch from looking at those chiplets because those chiplets are pretty small. I mean, their IO stuff is going to be older 14 nanometer stuff where there's plenty of manufacturing uh, capability from a variety of partners to be able to do that. But the seven nanometer chiplets is really where they're going to make the money. And so I think that we're probably going to see certain X470 boards that may have been overbuilt that will support PCI 4.0. Now, there's some there's some debate here that some of the, the, the basic chips that, that kind of power all this won't be able to handle that. But then there's others that say, yeah, these things respect that you do a BIOS upgrade on here, and it's going to be essentially 4.0. And the biggest winners of that are not so much like graphics card, but again, storage. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think Fizon has got their uh, PCIe 4.0 being shown, and you know, whether or not they'll get them out by a June, July timeframe is is uncertain. But certainly second half of the year, there may be a market for them. And especially if AMD is successful in getting that into the enterprise, you know, we'll see some use cases that may be able to do that. But but the users that want four point six gigabytes per second of 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 IO bandwidth. They'll may be able to do that even without an X570 based motherboard. And so I think AMD is probably gonna release the chips far sooner than you know the official motherboards. And again, you know, some of the overbuilt, um specced motherboards may be able to support PCIe four point before you know these these newer motherboards are available. So it's Computex is gonna be interesting. And uh, you know what we find out, and where AMD's share price is going to go, is really going to depend on what they announce here and uh, what they're able to actually deliver. Because I think they're making a bunch of seven nanometer chips, and it makes no sense to be able to have them sitting in a uh, warehouse when they can actually start getting them out in decent numbers to consumers and OEMs who will utilize that and not care about you know four point uh, necessarily, but there may be an option for some users to at least utilize that functionality. If you know, if that's their bag, baby.
3: Yeah, if and when it becomes useful for you and I and everyone on the, listening to the podcast, because yeah. I'm, I'm really, yeah, I love the idea, but I'm really not going to notice the difference in my storage just sitting at home and launching a Steam game. Yeah, there'll be a slight bit of an increase, but it, it's, you know, it's for their, the household user, PCI 4.0, we're going to have to wait for stuff to catch up. We're going to wait for It's like e uh, eSATA or sorry, uh, SATA express. It's useless until you got something you can plug into it. But I, I, I mean, I hope you're right. They just, just like, get them out there. I'm sure they will be backwards compatible and it will be fun to be playing around with a motherboard that, you know, it's rated for PCIe 4.0. And eventually, you're going to buy us update that you can do that, which would just be, you know, fun to play around with.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and it'll, it'll open up a whole new range of testing too. Of is it really
1: 4.0? Yeah, exactly. Is it really five? One thing I was going to. No, it's 4.0e. Hmm. One of the things from this uh, Source uh, Digitimes report from Jeremy's article, the one of the interesting things is that. They're expecting AMD is expecting to see significant share increase in the notebook space, too, which is, you know, going to be a huge departure. We we're talking about a minute ago, the back to school season will be coming. Manufacturers are going to be ramping up production of laptops and there is a chip shortage from Intel currently. And that is going to be a big win for AMD, at least in the second half well, the, the middle of 2019, because they were talking about Asus Tech. Uh, HP, Lenovo, Acer making orders for AMD CPUs for laptops, including gaming laptops. And you're going to see more. I bet if I walked into Best Buy this fall, I'd be seeing far more AMD-powered laptops than this. Spring. Oh, you will. Yeah. So,
3: and if they go for the, the low-cost Chromebooks, Chromebooks yeah, an a AMD-powered low-cost Chromebook is going to be dirt cheap. It will be affordable for just about anyone.
0: Yeah. Oh, we had to say goodbye to our special guest. Kitty says uh, AMD is
2: is playing the prices right across their entire spectrum of products. And 7 nanometer is key to their uh, explosive growth throughout second half 2019. Kitty yep. said all that? Calicos uh, are the always smart the
0: cat. brightest
3: ones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: All right, let's uh, let's uh, keep pushing through the news here, so we don't go too long. Um, Next story is some more Optane news. Uh, Intel uh, uh, has extended support for Optane, uh, well, Optane as a caching mechanism in terms of pairing it with a faster drive. Uh, It's expanded that support to Pentium and Celeron processors. Uh, You, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Sebastian, you wrote this up for us, right?
1: Yeah, when. Optin came out and if you watched alan's review i know he, his last review for Optin was the 32 gigabyte one i think a year ago he did a video on that for us and back then it was still like this is for core processors you have to have like a core i3 core i5 core i7 to to be able to use this and it was a limitation in your bios it had to detect one of those processors before it would allow the feature and now as long as your motherboard supports it so this might require a bios update The latest version of the Intel RST driver does enable support if you're on. Now, there's some confusion about whether it's 7th and 8th or just 8th generation. Tom's Hardware did a report on this where they said it was 7th and 8th. Following the link and actually looking at the release notes for the RST 17.2 driver, it does say that they're extending desktop support to Pentium and Celeron processors, but it says it starts with the 8th generation. So... If you're on 8th gen or if you're planning on an 8th gen system, this is kind of a nice thing where as long as you check with the motherboard vendor and they have this enabled, you can put together a Pentium system, get yourself one of the cheaper Optane drives, pair it up with some either, you know, slower SSD storage or or spinning storage and take advantage of that on a low cost system where before you would have had to spend more on a CPU to get this unlocked on the same
0: motherboard. All right. So... We get, we'll check for that. Intel, obviously, pushing Optane, like trying to expand its its uh, appeal, its or its uh, its base where it's
3: applicable. Oh come on! It's not like it's been out for a year or so and no one's buying it. Yeah, well,
0: uh, you wouldn't know that from their presentation. Apparently, <laughs> apparently, Optane is the best thing in the world. Uh, it does have its uses. I'll I'll say that it does have its True. uses. Um All right, next up is. Uh, story from Jeremy on uh, the 2019 Hackaday Prize.
3: Yeah. So they've been doing this for a better part of five years now. And I've always been impressed by it. Uh, it's just something that has been put together by them. They've usually got great prizes and they're, they're, they're sort of building or giving a, a community that already exists a lot of things to be able to set out uh, and create a a project from scratch and sell it and win prizes along the way. Now in previous years, it's been focused on the end product. So it was like a category for robotics or for bio-interfacing. This time, they're focusing more on the process itself. So the stages are concept, design, production, benchmarking, and then communication of the finished product. And each person, uh, each of those categories, you will walk home. If you come out with the best uh, of that, a 10 grand prize, the The final winner, uh, which is significantly higher than it has been in previous years, $125,000 and a residency at a place called supply frame design lab, which I never heard of, but it's, it's one of those incubators where, you know, they take gifted technologically gifted individuals and give them a space to work, give them the resources to create the stuff that they want to. And obviously from the bent of this particular design, go into production, going into showing how good it is, going into getting the product out there and communicating to people that, you know, buy this thing, it's available and making it. So this will be going on for a while. And for the most part, in order to start out, all you need is a well-documented design. You don't need an actual product. You don't need a damn thing. Just a really good idea and, you know, the demonstrating ability that you can actually run a project. And they've also got a bit of seed money uh, for people. That So the projects that are voted on, uh, they've got $500 uh, increments of money that they will give out to help you you know, as you're hitting the prototyping stage and everything like that. So it's worth keeping an eye on, even if you're not interested in participating and just anyone can go into it because some of the projects that come out of this are just amazingly incredible. Last year, there was there was a, a Six Degree of Freedom arm uh, that came out, which is better than anything on the freaking market right now, uh, using uh, soft grippers and that. And it, it won, uh, I believe, best overall uh, for last year. And it was just, you know, some 20-year-old that had this idea and finally got the backing to do it. And it's now being sold just about uh, anywhere or the design is being used uh, in major factories and other robotics places. So it's just a lot of fun and it's worth keeping an eye out. And I, I put a link to some of the past coverage I've done if you're interested in, what the past projects were and uh, who won them all keep an eye out on it. it it's just you know a hell of a lot of fun
0: awesome very cool uh speaking of incubators my son's elementary school class has an incubator full of chickens uh, or yeah. uh, full, of, full of eggs that became chickens and they, he they had
3: all the cl- or did they have the heartbreak of that egg isn't doing anything daddy
0: i think they all hatched uh but Hmm. they asked the kids asked what happens to the chickens and the teacher says well the the girl chickens will go and live on a farm and lay eggs what about the the boy chickens and she wouldn't they get to go to mcdonald's (laughs) yeah
2: they're gonna be put in nice pots for everyone
0: actually it's more of a grinder that has a metal chute. that anyway yeah calling any let's uh Need to
3: get those beaks in there yeah. for a special texture man
0: <laughs> uh let's uh continue on here without it uh so uh jeremy uh returning to you you had a story about uh a the return of a classic role playing game
3: oh yeah uh on the computer we've known it was coming out for a while if you've never played Paranoia, you missed out on one of the most ridiculously fun uh, one-shot sort of role-playing game nights of your life. It, it, it was a perfect to do at a gaming convention where you've got a half dozen people who have never met each other in their lives. Because the, the idea behind the game, if you're not familiar with it, is you are living in paradise. The computer has made everything perfect. It has solved all the problems, and you are happy about that. If you do not answer yes to all of these questions, you will be killed. And then a clone will be popped up and we will ask them again until you start saying, yes, I am happy. The computer is perfect. The computer is my friend. Sounds reasonable. Your job. Yeah. Your job was to go out and get rid of all of the mutants and members of secret societies that have grown up and are against the computer. Of course, you yourself are a mutant and member of a secret society as is everyone else in the party so the idea is essentially to get each other into positions where you're allowed to kill off the person along with such wonderful helpful things as the best weapon that has ever been designed in the world the thermonuclear hand grenade which you can toss you know with really good about 20 meters or so it has a blast radius slightly larger than two miles so very useful it's going to be an interesting thing. Uh, it's Cyanide uh, Entertainment and Black Shamrock that are going to be putting it out. And before probably the end of the year. And sadly, you're going to be controlling all four people in it. I hope they do get a multiplayer version where you can now be terribly, absolutely horrible to each other, which is the entire idea of this game. It's fun. And if you don't like that, please report to your nearest happiness officer to have a pill.
0: We could all do with a little more happiness pills.
3: Yes. Yes, you could.
0: All right. Uh, let's see. Last story of the week. Uh, last news story is, uh, from Sebastian here. He's been, uh, yes. checking out the crowdfunding campaign for something. It looks like he's got a model for us. I do
1: as I, this is Probably the, destroyed my digital clock
0: the century two console size enclosure
1: Yes, yeah, so they sent one of these for review uh about a month ago, I think, and I have not gotten to it. I'm going to get to it this week or beginning of next week, but like you said, console size this is about the size of like an xbox it's a computer case it's it's one of those crowd funded, very specifically designed cases like we've seen in the past from like dan cases and n, n case with the m1 and this takes the idea of a mini itx enclosure and it it merges it with kind of what we saw from the steam machines this is like the steam machine concept lives on and i've seen a couple of different ones uh patrick norton was showing me uh there's another company that has one that's similar to this like this 200 dollars price range this crowdfunding campaign is asking 260 dollars for this The first version of this was very popular. It was considerably overfunded, I believe, when it went uh, through its Indiegogo campaign. This one is about 37% I'm seeing uh, as of today. It's only started on April 1st. So it's well on its way. And the appeal of this is you're you're putting a mini ITX system in a relatively small enclosure. We're talking about seven liters of total volume. And it can hold a full-size GPU. It has just the length to have a full size GPU alongside a mini ITX motherboard inside. This is not made to be ultra lightweight. This is not an aluminum enclosure, it's steel. And just from a brief hands on with it so far, it feels extremely rigid. This is like thicker rolled steel construction, so it's pretty durable. And you, you can look at the video and the pictures on their website. It's it's an interesting idea like the way everything's laid out. You've got like uh I wonder who like provided the fan in that picture right there I actually own. Though <laughs> the, there is a uh Deep Cool Gamer Storm low profile fan that I bought a oh, long that's a time Noctua. ago for a, I know those colors. Yeah. Oh right, yeah, yeah. The the Noctua fan is in one of these they use different fans in some of these different uh clips in the video. Oh, okay. But uh the the Deep Cool fan has a bigger uh the Deep Cool cooler has a bigger fan, so it's actually a little bit quieter under load. But anyway, uh just Just interesting, and I'll be taking a a very close look at this and see how much I can cram into this, and see what the thermals and noise are like. It's it's a very perforated case design, so I assume there'll be some decent airflow at least through the one half of it. So, interesting idea, and just another one of those like, how small can we make a full size gaming system? And I, I love the idea of continuing on with the Steam Machine and. Maybe in honor of that, I'll just install Linux on it and see what I can do with uh, current titles on Linux.
3: If you're using a triple slot uh, GPU, can you get a cutout and a blower on that little girl part? (laughs)
1: That would be sweet,
3: wouldn't it? I I don't know
1: if I can take would would. one side off. But yeah, that's a great mod for this. The scoop intake mod. Mm -hmm.
0: All right, so check that out at Indiegogo if you're interested. And uh, Sebastian, are you, are you, do you have a review on the horizon for that?
1: Yes. Uh, as soon as I've wrapped up my latest case review going up soon, this is going to be on the test bench. So that'll be the next case review you see. Well, the one after next.
0: Right. All right, so in the next you, week or two. You can look for that to see, see what Sebastian thinks. And he's, he's reviewed a, uh, one or two cases in his day. So he you know, yeah. kind of knows what he's talking about.
1: It's been too long since I've reviewed a really small form factor case. So the Dan cases was with the last one. So I'd be yeah. happy to try that out. again. That was a while ago.
0: Uh, so uh, let's. That's the end of the news. Let's jump into the picks of the week. Uh, I'll start. Uh, I've got for my pick. It's a monitor arm. Obviously, nothing too exciting here. But monitor arms. Uh, I always like to use them because they they both let you position the monitor correctly for the best viewing angle and ergonomics. But it also keeps. The stand off your desk so you can have more room to pile junk and whatever else you've you've got uh, on your desk. Because I know when I see those pictures on the Battle Station subreddit, I know that that isn't what your desk looks like all the time. So this one uh, is cheap, which is good because a lot of these monitor arms can get expensive, but it's also very basic. It doesn't have up or down adjustment, at least not uh, immediate. Like you can adjust the angle or the height of where it connects to the bar but you can pivot turn uh basically position it anywhere else other than uh up and down so you get to the height you want and it stays uh, pretty sturdy I've, I've got it connected to a 27 inch iMac right now no problem with the weight and that iMac is heavier than any monitor you're probably going to put on there so mm-hmm. so it's working well for that and what i like about it too is that it's it's very low profile in the sense that if you Swing the bar to one side or the other, and then tilt the monitor so it's parallel to the wall. It's flush up against the wall, whereas a lot of these other monitor arms, just the way they are, it uh, they with the multiple joints and stuff, it's hard to get it all the way back. So this gets gets you the flexibility of uh, of having different configurations uh, for your monitor, and twenty six dollars. Uh, so this is the Vivo. Single LCD monitor arm at Amazon. There's a number of companies selling this form factor. Uh, so just, you know, find the one that has the braiding and the price that you need, and uh, you should be all set there.
3: Yeah, it's a lot cheaper than that system you saw at CES that had the flush arm on it.
0: Which one? I'm
3: trying to think. I think it might have been Asus. But the idea was that you could, it came out, but you could stand it up and the stand itself recessed into the back of it yeah that was uh samsung samsung yeah Yeah.
0: but that was a whole monitor it like that stand was built into it they're not selling the low profile separately but uh fair enough yeah all right uh next up is this uh jeremy with the display
3: well i mean if you're gonna have uh an arm that can hold up to a 27 inch display you might want a 27 inch display And this one is, uh, it's a Canadian, this is Canadian price, but it's on a significant sale and you know, you get 75 Hertz tops on a free sync display. That's IPS. It's not going to blow you away and be the most amazing monitor that you've seen on the market ever, but at 200 bucks, it is not a bad way to go. It's it's relatively cheap and it's IPS. I mean, there are those that are going to stream and yell that well, it's nineteen twenty by ten eighty. But as we were, Sebastian and I were mentioning earlier on, sometimes the eyes just aren't good enough to deal with ultra high definition and still be able to see things. So this is not going to have any motion blur going on it. And you're if you're like me and getting a little bit older, so four K is just a little bit hard to see. Go for it. Why not pick up two, three?
0: Well, it's, it's hard to tell from the pictures here, but I'm not sure this has visa mounting capability. So you couldn't use this glue. with the monitor. Oh, just glue it. No, nah, yeah. I didn't look at that. Yeah. No. But you're right. Just, you know, some industrial strength adhesive will solve that problem. All right. So that's the uh, the LG 75 hertz FreeSync IPS dual HDMI gaming monitor with a ridiculous... Uh, See, two two seven MP fifty nine HD dash P two hundred bucks yes. Canadian right now at Mike's computer oh. shop. All right, uh, next up is Josh. Josh, are you muted? It's not me.
2: It's not you. It's not my problem. It's not my pick. Who are you talking about? Yes. Okay. It is. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know if, if you if you're not willing if you're not willing to spend 200 bucks on that Intel uh what 660p drive that's been on sale for seemingly the past 3 weeks and you want something cheaper this is a good option it's not a great option but it's a good option for 106 bucks 105 bucks you get a 1 terabyte n v m e drive that Jim had reviewed it's not the fastest thing on the market, but it's a hundred bucks. so if you want a game drive that you don't want to spend double the amount on to get double the space don't feign you know you, you won't feel like you need two terabytes. This is a great drive. I mean it's it's not fantastic for, you know, compared against other 1 terabyte NVMe drives like the My Digital SSD and some others. Uh but those are, you know, those are 180 to 200 bucks a pop. This is, you know, it's going to be slower. It's not going to do sustained writes very well. But once you get the game installed, It's going to be faster than spinning rust, and it's got a lot of capacity. So it's a nice mix of price performance for those who are in the market for such an NVMe drive for like, you know, a game drive or even just, you know, an OS drive with games on it. It's going to work perfectly fine. If you're wanting to do something heavier than that, you're going to need to spend money elsewhere.
0: Mm-hmm. And this is the, I don't think, I don't know if you said, this is the Crucial P1. Crucial P1. Yeah, that's the product. 100 Currently that's uh, what I on, said. S- on sale at $105 for one terabyte. So close to that consistent
2: 10 cents a gig. Yep. So close. Yeah. So close.
1: They're flirting with it, but they haven't gone all the way. They're on like well, some second have, and but, third base. But yeah yeah. It's getting right. pretty serious. But, you know, there's no baby in the oven yet. What? Nothing. Jim, okay. just mark this down. You can do a jump cut right there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I Okay, never mind. Uh, babies in ovens. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, why don't you tell us about uh, your pick then, Sebastian. You've got something for us. Also storage related.
1: Yeah, if you are a fan of fast storage, as we all are, Uh, One of the things that's been popular are those Samsung drives, like the T3, T5 is the current one. I have a T3. Lexar is bringing to market their new professional. uh, The one terabyte is the one I picked just because I think that has the highest potential performance. I saw articles about this this morning. They're launching this new SL100 Pro portable SSDs. Their USB 3.1 Gen 2, apparently they did not get the rebranding message, which I guess would put this at 3.2 Gen 2 but who knows anyhow the actual potential performance of this are reads uh, like sequential reads of up to 950 megabytes per second writes at 900 megabytes per second so this has the potential to be some seriously fast uh, ssd storage on a usb3 port and much faster than what samsung is currently offering so Comes with apparently both cables, just like the Samsung drives seems to be a similar form factor to the Samsung drive. So I'd be very curious to get hands on with one of these and see like what kind of real world performance you get out of this. Like you could almost just run this as a boot drive uh, if your system supported it. I can see doing like a portable Linux install you carry around and with that kind of like significantly higher than SATA throughput this would be a, an interesting drive it's probably going to be like creatives like moving large uh video and, and image collections around but one terabyte for what is this 230 dollars 240 dollars for this kind of speed seems pretty good
0: yep and that's the lexar professional sl 100 pro yes all right. Well that's that's it for the show. Anybody have any closing thoughts? Uh, Josh was chuckling about something earlier. No? You're muted again. I-
1: he's just he's just miming now. He's screwing with you.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I was I was reading something on Twitter that had nothing to do with hardware and it was funny. It made me laugh. Oh, okay. Like a clown. Think that's funny? Twitter isn't funny <laughs> funny. Oh. To make you laugh like a clown?
0: Well, okay, well... Away, Vinny. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for joining us uh, this week. I uh, uh, hope everyone uh, has a uh, good week coming up. As, uh, just rem- again to remind you, no show next week, but uh, we'll be back after that. Um, I need to get a mailbag for Josh. Because he's yes. been asking about it, and I just haven't... I've been either traveling or sick and just haven't had a chance to so... I'll say I'll
1: no more put, excuses
2: because, um, you know, I'll,
0: recording, recording it is easier than
2: editing and publishing it.
0: Y- yes. Uh, well, so I understand. understand. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. So I'll put uh, I'll put it out here. I'm, uh, if you have a question you'd like Josh to answer of any kind and any content rating, mm-hmm. just uh, send right,
1: uh, I uh, make some notes here.
0: <laughs> send him a, a tweet or send us a tweet or an email Uh, Get it to us, you know. You know, just tag it. Make sure that we're we're our individual Twitter accounts are tagged on it, so we know. And I will also send out a tweet asking for questions uh, soon, maybe tomorrow. And then we'll have Josh record that in the next uh, early next week, maybe whenever his schedule allows, and get that up for you. And that maybe that'll be like a nice substitute if we can have that published next week instead of the uh, the podcast. But but no promises because I'll be gone the entire week uh, almost. So I'll 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 do what I can. But uh, okay. Awesome. So uh, thanks for joining us, everyone, and uh, have a great week. We'll see you next time.